Well, good morning. Good morning, good morning, good morning. I'm Michael Flake, one of the pastors here. Great to be together as a church family this morning. Whether you're cautious about Jesus, curious about Jesus, or committed to Jesus, there is room for you here. This is a safe place to learn, to grow, and to change. So long as you don't have it all together, you'll fit right in. As we look to the center of these circles, we ask ourselves, what is it that's at the center of my life? What is it that my life revolves around? Jesus says he wants to be at the center of our lives. And if we ever invite him there, that we'll experience real life, both abundant life on earth and everlasting life after earth. As Bill said, today is, well, before I celebrate that, as a math major from Davidson, I'm also obligated to tell you, and happy Pi Day. Well, that's on behalf of the Davidson Math Department. But it is also our 500th Sunday as Lake Forest Davidson, so happy 500th Sunday. Uh, we've had a lot of fun memories over these first 500 Sundays, including the first Sunday each of you came. That's a fun memory for each of us. Uh, we have worshipped in an elementary school gym. We've worshipped in a cafeteria with and without AC. We've worshipped in a Quaker house, in a music room. We worshipped at Ada Jenkins on a snow day, Gethsemane Baptist on Christmas day, all around the community on serve day. We've eaten together. We've, shall I continue, been in a field. The roosters said amen. We have been online in our homes, and we've been in the Lake Norman YMCA. Whatever these first 500 Sundays have been, they have been an adventure, an adventure. And we look forward to many more adventures. Happy 500th Sunday. I'm just thankful. Thankful for the ways God forms us through the regular act of worshiping together. So here's to 500 more Sundays as Lake Forest Davidson. I didn't know really when to say this next thing, so I'll just say it now. Uh, it seemed like a fun thing to celebrate. As you may well know, my last statement was not 100% correct because uh, later on in this year, we will actually uh, change our name. At the end of 2020, we received the blessing from all of the Lake Forest family to take our next step of maturity, which is to become our own freestanding local church. Yes, and as part of that, we mutually agreed that it would be a good idea for us to move forward under a different name to limit confusion. And so, very recently, the elders of our church have come to unity about what our moving forward name will be. Let me move on to the sermon now. <laughs> oh, is that a, okay. I just thought, I just want, thought you'd want to know that. Okay, I'm a little nervous, but I'll tell you. So, when we become a local church, we will do so under the name Immaculate Connection. I'm sorry, that was the second place finisher. I, I forgot that. It's a pretty good name, though. Yeah, that was my... The, the name, The Ultimate Church Experience 365 featuring Michael Flake trademark was also submitted. <laughs> that did not win second place. So when we become our own local church, we are going to proceed under the name Story Hill Church. Story Hill, S-T-O-R-Y-H-I-L-L. -L. 
Story Hill Church. We like that name for a lot of reasons. One is we think it really carries our, where we came from, our heritage. Our grandparent church is called Forest Hill and our mother church. The DNA is to love people as they discover and live out their role in God's story. So we think it says where we come from. We also like, there's a lot of great scriptures about hills. I lift my eyes to the hills. Things on hills can't be hidden. Uh, and the land where we've bought in Davidson is actually on a little bit of a, little bit of a hill. So we kind of like it, but what our elders prayed was, no matter what we call the church, we just hope we'll be known as a place where people cautious, curious, committed, can come together and be encouraged and challenged to live a life of loving God, loving other people, keeping Christ in the center. So we could call it whatever we want to call it. Um, some folks will probably call it Story Hill Davidson, some people Story Hill Prez, some people Story Hill Church. You know me, I'll probably just call it Story Hill when I remember what the name is. But... I say all this to say, our name is Lake Forest Davidson. That's, Story Hill will be the name when we become a local church. Does that make sense? I, at the risk of confusion, I just think I'll let you know what I know about when I know it. <laughs> and that's how we'll proceed through this, whole, through this whole exciting time in the life of the church. There you go. That, that made the 500th Sunday, you know. People will remember that, I guess. If we named it Immaculate Connection, people would really remember 500th <laughs> Sunday. So this memory was shared with me from the first 500 Sundays, and it's one of my favorite memories too. It was Sunday number 87. Sunday number 87, I invited my friend, the Reverend Rudy Howard, to come from Memphis and to preach for us. Reverend Rudy had dedicated his life, you, some folks remember this, he had dedicated his life to serving high school students in at-risk schools. His summary of our church was, you know the devil is confused by this. I think that's a compliment. After we pre preached, I took him to lunch, and in the restaurant, the parking lot of this restaurant, he walked up to four college-age African-American men and just joined their conversation in the parking lot. And after talking to them for about a minute, he said, now pardon me asking, but are you Morehouse men? Turns out they were. They had been at a conference. They were driving back to Atlanta to Morehouse College. They had stopped for lunch. They were talking in a parking lot, and Rudy walked right up to them, joined their conversation. So now I'm looking for lapel pins, T-shirts, something on these four guys that says Morehouse, and there's nothing. Rudy was just so intuitive with people that he, he grasped quickly part of these young men's identity by how they carried themselves. And then at lunch, he asked me, isn't that how it should be with God's family too? He was still preaching to me at lunch. That I don't need a t-shirt or a lapel pin that says I'm a Christian. Watch my identity shine through by how I live. That was our lunch conversation. So today we continue a year-long series of sermons that we're calling The Story with a capital S. We're trying to preach through the big picture of the Bible. Today we, are on, we start volume three, volume three. We have weekly resources, reading plans, and videos designed to help you make the Bible not so big and intimidating that God is writing this great story in this world. He's inviting you and me to find our place in it. So we have resources on the website. They come out in the weekly note that we send. It's okay to just start at volume three. Just jump in and join us where you are. Volume three today starts with the giving of the Ten Commandments. 
the giving of the Ten Commandments from Exodus 19 and 20. This dovetails really nicely with what Gray and Katie did the last two Sundays. Some of us may think, or we may have grown up thinking, that the Bible is just a big long list of do's and don'ts. And when you actually read the Bible, what you determine is that's not really what it is. The Bible is more an invitation. It's an invitation to a relationship with God. And yet, there are plenty of do's and don'ts in the Bible. So what do we do with the do's and don'ts in the Bible? Do we ignore them? Do we become defeated by them? Do we try to live up to them? This morning, we want to put the Ten Commandments in some context and see if we can't start to answer some big questions like this. What do we do with the do's and don'ts parts of the Bible? What do we do with the Ten Commandments? Let's start with the passage Pete read for us earlier in Exodus chapter 19, verse 3. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. So in volume one, we watch God create the world, and then God created humanity in His own image. God called it all good, and yet we have watched humanity and all of creation be lured into rebelling against God time and time again. In volume two, we watch God put His redemptive plan into action. God began to work through the family of Abraham and Sarah, their son Isaac, his son Jacob, and Jacob became renamed Israel. Those who have been here before remember that sermon. So Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, who became Israel, God promised that through this family He would bless the people of every family. That family relocated to Egypt because of a a famine, and in Egypt they became so numerous they seemed less like a family and more like a people, but the Egyptians became threatened by the Hebrew people, the Israelite people, and so they enslaved them. God continues saying to Moses, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. So through the leadership of Moses, God delivers his people from slavery in Egypt. God passes over their homes. If you remember Katie's sermon, God passes over their homes on the night that the firstborns died, and then he used a mighty strong wind to part the Red Sea so that they could escape from Pharaoh's army. God's people are now free from their bondage, and God tells them to always remember that. God's people are now free from our bondage, and God tells us to always remember that. God's people are east of Egypt at a mountain called Mount Sinai. God continues, Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So here, God reminds the people of the nature of their relationship. It is a covenant. It is a promise. It is a commitment. God is promising His commitment to the descendants of Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Rebekah, Jacob, and all his many wives and children. Those descendants are promising their commitment to God. It's a two-way covenant. 
God and God's people have a covenant with one another. It is a promise. It is a commitment to one another. The covenant is being renewed here at Mount Sinai. And within the bounds of the covenant, God reminds the people of their identity. God reminds the people, God reminds them, God reminds you of your identity. You will be to me a treasured possession. My priests, my ministers, my holy nation, set apart in how you carry yourself. And then God gives the people the Ten Commandments. The order is important. Only after reminding the people of their identity, God gives them the Ten Commandments. God says, you will be to me my people, you will be to me a treasured possession, priests in this world bound to me by a covenant. He does say now, if you keep your end of it, but remember all the way back in chapter 15, God already promised to be on the hook for our failing to keep our part of it. So now God says, let me show you how to be distinctive in the world around you. Identity followed by how to be distinctive. So that's the sense of the Ten Commandments. When you read it, it reads like a whole bunch of do's and don'ts. But it is actually God shaping God's people to live into their identity, to shape you into me, and to live into our God-given identity as people of the covenant, God's priests, God's treasured possession. So that if you bump into somebody in a restaurant parking lot or on the job or on the field or in the classroom or around the neighborhood or as you're serving people or seeking justice, when folks bump into us, they might say, pardon me asking, but are you one of those Jesus people? I don't know, just something about it shines through a bit. Now, Gray, Pastor Gray made this very clear last week. God gives Moses and God's people far more than Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20 and following. In fact, the entire book of the Bible after Exodus is called Leviticus, and it is commandments. There are far more than Ten Commandments. There are all kinds of commandments in this part of the Bible. This is actually where the command eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth comes from which is often misunderstood, the, the point of that command is to limit vengeance. So if somebody steals your Taco Bell gift card, you can't burn down their house, even if you feel like it. You can only do eye for an eye. It's meant to limit vengeance, to not let anger and wrath take us over. There are commands about making sure those in poverty get a fair hearing in court, commands about not taking advantage of widows and orphans, commands about not mistreating foreign people, because you remember what it was like to be a foreigner in Egypt. So there's a lot of commandments at the end of Exodus and at the beginning of, or through all of Leviticus. They're all worth our consideration, but the, 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 where God leads off is with what are now called the Ten Commandments as sort of a summary of, a preview of, a good encapsulation of what God desires for His people, how God desires to shape His people. So here we go, this morning's top ten list. The category this morning, top ten commandments. That would have been a better joke if it hadn't been for daylight savings time, I think. And if that show hadn't been off the air for how many years now, five years? The Ten Commandments are these. 
the first one. God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. So God does not intend to entertain rivals. God doesn't plan to be part of a love triangle between you and God and some other God. God is trying to shape his people at Mount Sinai, and he shapes them by saying this, remember what I have done for you in the past. Remember who you're in a covenant with. Don't let anyone or anything rival God in your heart. Don't let anything or anyone rival God in your life. Number two, you shall not make for yourselves an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth below or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. So number two is much like number one, don't make idols. Don't worship idols. Enjoy creation, but don't confuse creation and the Creator. Don't confuse the giver and the gift. So now there's no question who God says ought to be at the center of our lives, who ought to be in the driver's seat of our lives. There's not even a close second, in fact. Have no gods before God. Do not make any idols. Our lives as individuals are to be built around God first and foremost. Our life together as family, our life together as a church, whatever we call ourselves, is to be built around God first and foremost. Number three, you should not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Some translation would say don't take God's name in vain. The idea here is don't, don't use God's name lightly. Be very careful how you use God's name. Not as a throwaway cuss word. Don't use it for dishonest personal gain. The God of the universe invites you, me, to call him by name. We never want to lose how, a sight of how awesome of a privilege that is. We, we, to call on the name of God. We never want to take that lightly. Don't misuse God's name. Number four says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. And then that passage is much longer. It goes on to say that for six days you work, but then you take a day of rest and refreshment and worship. And not just you personally, but everybody under your control, everybody in your household at that time, if you had servants, people, people who were foreigners visiting your community, everybody gets a day off. Everyone can stop working for a day once a week for rest, worship, refreshment. 3,000 years later, look at us. Do you see the way that God shaped the world 3,000 years ago at this mountain talking to Moses? The difference it made in the world and how deeply God desires for you, for me, for our lives to have rhythm, periods of work and periods of rest, periods of work and periods of refreshment, periods of work and worship. Number five, honor your father and your mother. How did I forget that was number five? Honor your father and your mother. This is the first verse of the Bible my children had learned. Upon their first birthday, they had to recite it. 
So this verse is not just a verse for children, of course. It's also a verse for adults. As much as we love the younger generation, the next generation, God also wants to shape His people into being those who, who are honor and, and in some ways are kind to revere the older generation, even in their old age, even in their struggles, even in their imperfection. Because one day we will desire that that one day the next generation will be the generation and that they will love us in our old age, in our infirmity, in our struggles, even in our imperfection. So God wants His people to honor and esteem the generation that came before. And then we get to kind of a lightning round at the end. Numbers 6 to 10 don't take nearly as long. They are these. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor, and you shall not covet your neighbor's house or spouse or anything that belongs to your neighbor. And so in Numbers 6 to 10, we hear how deeply God cares about life because each person bears his image, how deeply God cares about integrity, integrity in our words, integrity in our actions, integrity in our families, and how deeply God cares about contentment, contentment with all that God has entrusted to us. So let's see if I can run them down quickly. No gods before God, no idols, don't misuse God's name, honor the Sabbath, honor your father and mother, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't give false testimony, uh, don't covet. No sweat. What's next? So, out of context, that does just sound like a lot of do's and don'ts. But in context, remember, what it's trying to do is reveal God's heart to us. They show us what God is like. They show us how God wants to shape us into His people, how God wants to shape us into living life together as His community of people. This is how God wants to shape you and how God wants to shape me into being that sort of person. Outside of whatever the fault lines of our day and time are, or the, day, the fault lines of any culture and any time and day, this is who God is shaping you. This is who God is shaping us to be. So this afternoon, if someone were to stop you on the street and say, what is the purpose of the Ten Commandments and similar parts of the Bible? You might say one of three things. I'll tell you what they are. Number one, number one, number, 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 number one. What is the purpose of the Ten Commandments, the stranger on the street says? You might say, number one, to limit the harm done to people. To limit the harm done to people. Galatians 3 says, the law was our guardian until Christ came. So what are the do's and don'ts of the Bible? They are protection. They are designed to protect people from harm. They are a firewall. The Hippocratic Oath, which is the bedrock of medicine, says do no harm and charge for it. I'm sorry, just the first part. Do no harm. Hippocrates had a younger brother who added the, the second part. Do no harm. At some level, that's what the Ten Commandments are trying to do. They are the Hippocratic Oath in some ways. Do no harm. This is what is morally out of bounds. This is what is outside of what God desires for each of us. And the truth is, whatever a person's convictions, we benefit when they live by the words, do not murder, do not commit adultery. 
Whether or not you believe in honoring the Sabbath, our modern work week was shaped by people who did. And we look forward to holidays, sometimes forgetting that the reason we have holidays is that God instituted holy days. So as people live by God's Word, no matter if they're committed to Jesus, as people live by these things, it limits harm. So the first point of these is to limit harm. But then you might say, number two, what's the point of the Ten Commandments, these parts of the Bible? To point us towards a relationship with God and our need for Jesus. Romans 10 says, Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. In other words, the law is pointing us to Jesus Christ. Like, let's say you're here today and you realize you need to, get, you need to change, you need to get more serious about God, that's great. And then the sermon's about the Ten Commandments, great. So you walk out of church or you walk to the fridge after you turn off the TV and you're excited, you are going to change your character, you're going to become more like God, great. And then you get in your car and somebody cuts you off in the parking lot or as you're trying to leave your driveway. And you misuse God's name. And then you look again at the car and you think, that's a pretty nice car. I wish I had that car. And the new you didn't even make it out of the parking lot. The point is, when you try to base your relationship with God off how well you keep the Ten Commandments, you will realize one thing. You cannot have a living, vibrant relationship with God based on keeping the Ten Commandments. When you have done all you can do, you will still be far short. The only way you will reach God is if God reaches out to you. And I've got some really good news that's at the very center of God's story. Through Jesus Christ, God has reached out to you. God has reached out to you through Jesus the Christ. And the do's and the don'ts of the Bible are pushing us towards Jesus, that Jesus can bring us into that right relationship with God that we desire and that we need. If only we will come to put our faith in Him, if only we'll have that humble trust to commit our lives to Him. One of the purposes of the do's and don'ts of the Ten Commandments is to get us to cry out for God's help is to get us to the point where we realize we need God to make us right with Him. The good news is God has done that through the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. Through that, through the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, God has extended His eternal covenant to all people who desire it. There is room in God's family and God's people for you because of Jesus. Because when you reach the end of all you can do and are ready to give up, you will realize God's hand has been reached out to you the whole time. So if that didn't run the person off, you might also tell them then number three. They just thought they were asking a little question. You had three good answers. Number three, what's the purpose of the Ten Commandments? To guide our character growth as followers of Jesus to guide our character growth. This has sort of been what I've been trying to emphasize, that we often think of the do's and don'ts in the wrong order. The do's and don'ts don't make us right with God. Jesus makes us right with God. And then the do's and don'ts guide our character development as we grow in that relationship. We often get it in the wrong order, I guess is my point. 
God's commandments show us God's heart. God's commandments shape us into who God desires us to be. God's commandments are the banks of the river. They're the walls of the canyon. They're the edge of the island. There's a lot of life to be found inside of those boundaries. If you're a follower of Jesus, or if today or in the future you ever become a follower of Jesus, hear what Jesus says of you. Jesus says these words in Matthew 5, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. People will see your identity through how you live your life, how you carry yourself. Your life and my life has the ability to put the spotlight a little less on us, a little more on God, to live a life that points people to God. You are invited to come just as you are into the waiting and open arms of God. You are invited to receive from Him a new identity. Remember, it starts at identity. Receive from God a new identity as His son, as His daughter, because of Jesus, as a member of His family, His covenant people, His treasured possession to be His priest, His minister. Receive that identity as a gift from Jesus. And then one day at a time, one decision at a time. Let God shape you into that person He says you are. Let Him shape us into that community He says that we are. Let us live out that identity one day, one decision at a time. And one day we will look back and realize we are like that city on a hill that cannot be hidden. We are like that little light that cannot help but shine. My question as I wrap up this part of the story with a capital S is this. Which of the Ten Commandments, or other commands, but which of the Ten Commandments do you need to take to heart to either do no harm or to guide your character growth as a follower of Jesus? God loves you just how you are, and He loves you so much He doesn't want you to stay that way. And we see this as far back as the Ten Commandments. God says, you are my people. Now let me show you what that means. By this point in the service, Rudy had untied his bow tie. He had walked over to that keyboard. And he sang a little song that children learn from a young age. The song's called, This Little Light of Mine. And then he sang a verse that he may have just made up. I had never heard it before. But the verse was, my God gave it to me. I'm going to let it shine. The big question of what do we do with the Ten Commandments may well be answered by a line of a children's song. My God gave it to me. I'm going to let it shine. God went first. God gives me my identity. I'm going to let it shine. Let's pray together. Let me give you a chance to pray, a chance to talk.
talk to God, to listen to God about whatever he's stirring up in your heart or your mind, just take a quiet moment for personal prayer. Lord, I pray for each of us and for our whole church family that we will come to delight in your law. And even more so that we will come to delight in you. As we see the ways that your words from thousands of years ago to Moses have shaped our world, have limited harm and have pointed us and so many others to your open arms, the open and waiting arms of Jesus. Lord, I pray for those of us who feel so defeated by what you say that we will get to that place of crying out for help and realizing you have been waiting for us to cry out all along. Lord, I pray we will grow and change, that the identity you give us through Jesus will shine through. We are surrounded by people who so badly need hope. Thank you for putting hope in our hearts that we might share it with others. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's stand. Let's worship together.